women who have survived unthinkable and unspeakable violence behind the closed doors of their own homes are speaking out more than ever before. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories and journeys of women survivors turned entrepreneurs and how they use their strength and tenacity to help other women move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Flow Rising. This show contains adult topics and often contains triggering stories. Audience discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Flow Rising. I am your host, Megan, and today my guest, Brittany, is going to share some amazing stories of how she's overcome her own childhood traumas, adult traumas, and now is thriving in her own way um, with a new coaching practice and a new life and a lot of things that are really amazing that are happening in her life. So Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. So I always start every episode with where we are because <laughs> I think it's the best part for helping people get inspired to know that there is life after surviving, after abuse, after overcoming, and even while we're healing ourselves. So share with the audience a bit about the things that you are currently bringing into the world uh, right now. Well, um, I am the founder of The Bridge Coaching Services. I am a life coach who specializes in women's empowerment and addiction recovery. Um, I myself am in recovery from eating disorders, alcohol, basically everything but gambling. Uh, <laughs> and I am also a survivor of sexual abuse as well as narcissistic abuse. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's pretty much how everyone comes to my show. I always say I get super blessed to meet people who are doing really wonderful things in this world. Um, so share with us a little bit about, um, I know your coaching practice is new. I know that you're just really getting off the ground and taking this big, bold step for yourself, but what kind of, um, I hate to say services, but what kind of coaching and what kind of approach do you take in the coaching that you are doing right now? Um, just so people can get a better understanding of, of what it's like to work with you. Well, so the coaching I do now um, was largely influenced by my realization of what was happening, happening around me. Mm -hmm. And I finally realized that I don't need to ask for permission to mm -hmm. be happy. Yeah. And I think especially as women and as we come out of those stereotypical gender roles that we were taught from like the 60s and all this other stuff, you know, the world has changed and it's time to shed light upon what we are actually capable of. Women are incredible. Um, and to be able to foster that is a huge privilege, um, you know, and to empower women to speak up, uh, much like a podcast. Um, and to encourage them to find their own courage. Cause I can, I can say things till I'm blue in the face, but until they believe it themselves, it's not going to work. And so my job is to basically give them a new pair of glasses, mm -hmm. uh, that are the perfect glasses for them for the first time they can see what's around them. They have clarity about what is and what could actually be. Yeah, no, I love, and I love the title, the name of your company where it's the bridge, because that's when we're moving away from the trauma, away from the abuse, and we know that there's life, there's, there's this gap. And a lot of us, you know, I, I traversed it largely alone until I met my partner who helped me bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I love that, that name of your company, because it's just exactly what it is. It's just getting 
from here to there and moving forward. So I know that your story, like we, I've said, is that it's kind of a, a recent awakening and a recent you know, shifting for you away from a lot of childhood traumas. You and I share a similar background in that we grew up with narcissistic parents. Mm. Um, and that's, it's one of those things that if anybody's on TikTok nowadays, we see it all the time and everyone's like, oh, everyone's a narcissist. And I'm like, yeah, but there's something truly interesting about waking up and going, oh no, my parent did this. Like I'm in that recent journey as well. So share with the audience a little bit about your background in that and, you know, and kind of how you came to those awakenings of, oh, nope, this is not normal. This is not healthy. This is not, you know, I know your story is bigger than just the narcissistic abuse, but that's kind of where it starts for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I question that to this day. Like if I, if that wasn't in my life, would I, would I have gone through all addictions? And I'm not saying it's the main cause, but I don't think it helped, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I would love to start off with um, some facts I found on choos- choosingtherapy.com and okay. then I'll relate them to my childhood. But I always like to back up what I'm saying with scientific evidence. And I think as people who have gone through abuse, we need that validation sometimes mm-hmm. to know that we're not crazy and what we've gone through is not normal. Um, so there are 17 signs of a narcissistic parent. Uh, they constantly need the conversation to be about them. They are immature and selfish. They brag about your achievement to others, but rarely acknowledge you or support you emotionally. They will blame others for any problems that actually stem from their own behavior. They are well-liked and important to others, but controlling and harsh when no one is looking. They make you feel bad for not doing what they want immediately. They make you feel guilty by boasting about how much they have done for you. They are harshly opinionated at home and put up a front for others. They are ruthless and unforgiving and will do anything to be on top. They make you feel anxious and often lower your confidence. They are absent from your significant life events. They force you to engage in sports and other activities despite your wishes. They fail to provide warmth and emotional nurturance in the relationship. They use you for professional gain. They become bothered or annoyed when you need time and attention. They make poor excuses to limit your time together. And they, sudden, and they display sudden moon changes and volatile anger. And when I was reading through all of those, it was like, check, 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 <laughs> <Me> check. <too. laughs> and it was like, yes. And um, it's just really interesting because as an adult, like I'm 30 years old now, and I'm reevaluating reevaluating my entire childhood. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and it's like so many so many things. Like I had parents in the sense that they were both physically there. Yep. You know, but it was very traditional. My dad went to work all day and my mom stayed home with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, so naturally I craved my father's attention cuz he was never there. Uh, just, I think any child would. And when I didn't get that attention or that validation, I felt lower than dirt. I felt like what, 
whatever I was doing, it was never going to be enough. And I was, I'm one of three kids and um, I'm the oldest Mm. and I was very different from my siblings. Um, We grew up in a funeral home, which was my father's business. And, you know, as if there's not some trauma already with that. <laughs> I was going to say, that's an interesting childhood alone. Growing right? up in a mortuary, but. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you know, I made up in my head, like, you know, my mom is so busy with these other two kids. I better not cause any trouble. Mm. And I also didn't want to wait for my dad to get home. Because, I mean, like, you know, aside from, like, the normal spanking, there wasn't physical abuse in the household. It was pretty normal for the 90s. Um and, but whenever he got home and didn't show me that attention, I felt like I wasn't important enough and that I didn't deserve attention. If he doesn't see that, you know, I'm worthy of attention, why would I think I am? Yep. And um, I was very different from my siblings. I was the chubby kid in the family. And I was made to feel different like a problem, like I was not enough. Cause my dad was very into appearances, which is very com- common with narcissism. Yeah. They want you to look good all times. Yep. Um, and when my image as a kid, mind you, this is like eight years old. Like this is a second grader having to go through this. Yeah. And you're made to feel like something's wrong with you. Like you're a mistake yeah. by the age of 12. I was having suicidal thoughts, thinking that the world would be better without me because I wasn't getting that fostering of mental health at home, you know? And I really can't blame my mom because she had so much on her plate. Like she didn't sit down once, not once, you know? And she also didn't have the education to realize what was going on. Um, And since then, you know, she has educated herself. She's, we both owned our sides of the street because I was not the perfect teenager, especially, or young adult. But, um, you know, we've both grown from this experience. But I remember him being super critical of my body. Like at eight years old, he would force me to go on a treadmill twice a week or three times a week um, to lose weight. And I, I love my inner child so much because I would stand on the side of the treadmill because it was it was downstairs so he couldn't see me. Uh, so I would sit I would stand on the side and just do one foot like donk donk <laughs> donk on the side like, like cats like, you see in TikTok. Screw you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. like my little rebellion as an yeah. eight year old. Uh, and you know, as you, it's hard for any woman going through puberty and everything and dealing with all that stuff. And he never, we have never, ever had a heart to heart conversation to this day because he's not capable of it. Um, And going through my teenage years and not getting that attention from him because I wasn't, I felt and made up in my mind, I was not the daughter he wanted. And he has actually told me that my late sister was my, his favorite daughter. Yeah, that's always which is also a sign of narcissism when they mm-hmm. try to when they pick favorite children especially but it's like and i feel like that's pretty not common but i think it's natural for a parent to feel a specific connection with one child versus another however favoritism yeah. 
is oh, totally yeah. Nar- different. Narcissists do it in that golden child. Like you're always yeah. compared to them and you always yeah. are supposed to do the things they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was yeah. very, very similar. So yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. And because I didn't get that attention as a teenager, uh, that transferred into promiscuity and seeking validation from men because I wanted someone to fix me. Oh, sure. And yeah, I wanted someone to fix me because I was a problem. Yep. And um, that's, that was modeled for me. And my dad did his best to especially have my mom make up in her mind that she couldn't live without him, especially financially. Yeah, that's... That's, and, and, and I think it's sad when it's when it's that we look at that that female male dynamic. I mean, yeah. mine was the opposite. My mother was the narcissist, mm-hmm. and so you know, but she picked a man who very much just wanted comfort and safety, and they've been married for forty eight years. Yeah, yeah, same thing. So it, it it doesn't matter which way it goes. The op- yeah. opposite parent is always like, I can't protect you. Mm-hmm. They don't protect you. They don't because no. they're, like you said, they don't know it themselves. They're not educated yeah. themselves on what's going on. Yeah. And it's very common for a narcissist to choose an empath or someone who has empathic, yeah. you know, That's, yeah. um, empathic behaviors. And yeah. because they don't understand it, but they it's know, the yeah, and they know that it can serve them mm-hmm. and they can manipulate it. My dad was very much about control uh, and still is, of course, to this day. And I was the empath as a, I still an empath, but as a child, I was the empathic one. Um, My sister, she was much more apt to defend herself. Hmm. And any opposition for a narcissist is just like, they they would rather not. You know, they could, but they would rather not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they like the easy route yeah yeah and you know that went on and then I um developed severe eating disorders and I was just kind of yelled at by him whether it was I was I've been I've seen all sides of the spectrum with that like overweight underweight Underweight, whatever and but I always was told that I'm a problem that I need to be fixed rather yeah. than healed. Mm. And I remember to this day, he visited me in college and it, this is, this was when my anorexia was pretty bad and I was below a hundred pounds. And, um, he came cause he heard I had lost a lot of weight in a short amount mm-hmm. of time. And I hugged him when he came to visit and then he pushed me back and he's like, what the F are you doing? You look disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Nothing was good enough. No. And I can understand, you know, a, a knee-jerk reaction with being scared and all. However, sure. I didn't hear any concern. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear any help. And I just felt like I didn't, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know how to get help. I had no idea. Because I didn't know that help existed because of underlying processing addictions in my family, whether it was narcissism, workaholism, raging. Um, My mom had her own struggles with her eating disorder into her 30s um, and has safely made her way into recovery now. But 
like it was all there and it was underlying and that image, mm -hmm. that picture perfect family, literally we would send people Christmas cards every year mm -hmm. with matching outfits that look like they should be curtains because it was the nineties. <laughs> <But> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad my mother never went through that phase. I'm a little older than oh. you, but still never went through the let's be all matchy matchy face. I don't understand, <laughs> but you know, but it, it was that's not my deal. <laughs> it was the picture of perfection that they were. Yeah. Your mother was desperately trying to create and your father was trying to control. It was just, yeah. nope, we are the perfect Look at us. Yeah. We are the perfect family. Yeah. Even though at and, home. Yeah. Never, never felt that way. And we were held to such a standard because my dad owns the business. So we were like a pillar of the community kind of thing. Sure. And, um, you know, it's a, it's an essential business. Yeah. And we were made like we had to be perfect all the time, all the time. Like in church, I remember being really little and the older ladies would tell my mom like, oh, your kids are so well behaved. And I was thinking like, well, the alternative would, you know, be the worst. <laughs> like, Ooh, that's, like, I don't feel like Benny stink today. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I do. I would do want to comment because I say this all the time and you said it too. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you because I'm, I'm in my early 40s. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in the 80s and you and I both say the same thing. Spanking was, it was just normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had to come to terms with, no, that was abuse. No, yeah. that wasn't normal. They they called it discipline, mm. but that was because I was, I was the bad child. Mm. But I, I was I the bad child. I was the middle of three. So I get when you know when you talk about having other siblings, like I was the middle of three. Same thing, but it was always, you know. And I know for you, as you got older, you shared with me that it turned. You know, you you started to tackle your eating addictions, but then you also came into alcoholic addictions as well. Yeah, so I, I got abstinent um, after going to Shades of Hope um, in Texas, mm -hmm. and I like I thought I was just a problem that had to be fixed, and if I yeah. stopped, I'd be fine. I'd be totally fine. Yeah, fine. And um, I was not fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, you can't can't force that fineness. It doesn't. No, no. And so I turned 21, and that was like the green light, you know, to go crazy. And I drank for an effect. I did not drink to socialize. I drank to get sure. drunk, to numb out, and it yeah. cost me everything. Um, yep. Within two months, I totaled two cars, mm -hmm. and I was sexually assaulted. And after that, I made up in my mind that I didn't care what happened to me or my body yeah, sure. because I deserved it because I was drinking yeah. and I put myself through that. And I'll never forget, you know, a couple years later when I was talking about it and I was sober at that point and I was telling my dad's girlfriend at the time what had happened. I forget exactly how it came up. And she turned to him and she's like, did you know about this? He's like, yeah. And then didn't say anything, mm -mm. nothing. And like, that still blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have a fur baby. And if anything happened to her, that they would be like, that person would be done. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> yes. Like exactly. Like the, yeah. The non-biological child. It's yeah. like, what? yeah. No, and no emotional connection. Yeah. It's, it's, he's just not capable of it. Mm -hmm. And I think I really had to come to terms with that. And once I got, 
Well, first off, he kicked me out of the house. I don't blame him for that because I was I was a mess and oh. I was not listening and I was willing to defend my alcoholism to the death. Sure. And um, so he kicked me out uh, into the arms of a man much older than me. Mm. And I was homeless for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And then I had an apartment that had a mattress on the floor sure. and a dresser someone gave me. I didn't have a home. You know, I had a place to sleep. And because I didn't want to be a problem to anyone, I didn't know how to say no. Sure. And I didn't know how to tell the person I was seeing at the time, hey, my shower has been freezing oh. and to get the hot water turned on. So I took cold showers for a year. Wow. Because I didn't know how to speak up because I didn't think, I didn't want to be a problem and I didn't want to waste someone's, waste someone's time, quote unquote. It's not a waste of time to state your needs. Nope. Uh, not ever. Nah. And when, um, when my sister passed away in 2016, she took her own life mm -hmm. and she left us a note and she specifically said she felt like she was the problem that couldn't be fixed. She was such a perfectionist because she was driven to be a perfectionist. She was, yep. I called her like the perfect child at the time because she was like yeah. a straight A student, mm -hmm. um, awesome person, very athletic, uh, no mm -hmm. body image problems like I was going through. And, but she had her own set of problems uh, that she was dealing with. And she didn't know how to speak up because she didn't know what was going on with her. And because, you know, she had held herself to a, such a high standard, she didn't know that there was any help for her. Yeah. Didn't know that help existed. Yeah. So she decided yeah. to just get out, you know. And um, yeah. it's... It's been hard without her, but I think that was a major turning point in my life as well. Sure. Yeah. And I know she's still with me today. I get all the signs. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, and it wasn't until almost a year later that I got sober and mm -hmm. I've been sober ever since. Uh, and, you know, things were good and I got sober because I found bodybuilding. And I was like trading one addiction for another. I, I, you said that to me in our in our intro call. I was like, you're like, yeah. So then I found a new addiction. I'm like, it actually there's this something about empathic humans. We are we are addictive tendencies. We have addictive tendencies, whether it be, you know, I always say I wasn't necessarily addicted to drugs or alcohol. I was addicted to the abuse. Like I was addicted to the abuse is love, love is abuse cycle. I mean, I had my own addiction problems with marijuana, but that was just because the human I tied myself to, because you did it with, I would say some people do it with lots of men or women or relationships. I just stayed for 18 years with one. Same mm -hmm. thing. Just yeah. down to mid 20 and stayed. It was like, nope, you validate all of the things that are wrong with me and I'm just going to stay. Yeah. So yeah, how did bodybuilding, like, I know bodybuilding for you, like you say, we're joking that it became an addiction, but it, it does. I mean, you become this obsessive thing. 
how did that though? Cause like, it sounds like your sister's death was sort of a catalyst. And I think we all have that catalyst for, I, I want to change. Was bodybuilding something that helped you change or was it something that distracted you or how, how did that transition work for, for, for you? For me, well, I started bodybuilding um, probably about a month before I actually got sober. Yeah. And because I was just a binge drinker at that point. So I could be good during the week. And then for my quote unquote cheat meal, it was alcohol, which made no logical sense. And I had to make a choice at that point. Yeah. And bodybuilding was giving me something that alcohol wasn't. It was giving mm. me confidence, great endorphins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also attracted to it because my dad was a bodybuilder briefly. So ah, there was a connection there. And that's that athletic, like, hey, you could finally do something yeah. that did. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. This could be a great way for us to bond. And because I'm still yep. seeking that approval, yep. um, even though at, at that time I was 24. And yes. he downed it. He didn't like it. Wow. Um, and I felt like it was never going to be good enough. So I went all in by the end. I was doing the, the drugs and I was mm-hmm. doing everything I ha- I thought I had to do to mm-hmm. be successful in that industry. Yeah. And he still hated it. And he didn't support it. Uh, he thought that it wasn't womanly. He, yeah. he didn't like strong women like that. Um, sure. And, you know, then COVID happened and, mm-hmm. um, oh, during this time, I also started to work for him right before COVID happened, conveniently. Yeah. And because uh, he lured me in, because I was a hairdresser at the time. And, yeah. you know, as a hairdresser, you need to be all in that. You need a hustle oh, yeah. to be successful. And I got nervous with my own financial stability Mm. because I was always taught money is important. Uh, I remember as a kid, my dad would take out a wad of cash. It'd be hundreds, twenties, whatever. And he would start, you know, flipping through it, Mm. not even counting it, just showing me like, hey, look what I have. Yeah. I was always confused by that because Mm. I'm a kid. I don't know what that means. You know, but now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was a power move. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And um, so I started to work for him and I noticed things like there always had to be a victim. Mm -hmm. There always had to be someone he was picking on. Mm -hmm. When that person left or got fired, he would find someone else. Yep. Finally, the last year, it was my turn. Mm-hmm. to be the sole victim. Yeah. So much to the point where on the night of my engagement to my f- fiance, we had been dating for six years at that point. Mm-hmm. It was like a huge night for me. Like I felt like finally someone wanted me and it was like a physical representation for validation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like our relationship extends way more than that. Yes. But I texted my dad a picture of, you know, me getting the ring and everything. And he texted me, we are so happy for you. My friend texted, my best friend at the time, 
texted me, we are so happy for you. It was confirmed that he was dating my former best friend. My, my former best friend is not my age. She is yeah. like about 15 years older than I am. Yeah. And I'm like, you couldn't even let my engagement night be about me? And I was like beside myself because I had been waiting for this night probably since we had been dating for two years. <laughs> this is six sure, years right. now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sweetie. Had to say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting. Yeah, of course. He knows. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't even let that time be about me. And mm -hmm. when I went into work like that Monday, he was talking about his relationship or whatever which was still gross to me. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm like, logically, I'm like, they're adults. They should be allowed to date. Doesn't yeah. matter that it's morally messed up. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm like making all these rationalizations in my head. Yeah. And I'm expecting him, because I'm his only daughter at this point since my sister has passed. I'm expecting yeah. him to be like, oh, let me see the ring. Congratulations. None of that. I had to be like, hey, do you want to see the ring? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if, if my friend's friend gets engaged, I'm like, oh, let me see the ring. You know, they don't <laughs> even have to be close like... to me. <laughs> Facebook stalking. Oh, you got engaged. <laughs> like, right? And, and not even anything. No. Yeah. And it's just like, it just was one thing after the next. I yeah. got a surgery on my stomach in... August of last year. Yeah. I was only out for a week and a half. I got surgery on an internal organ and he only gave me a week and a half off of work. Wow. And I mean, granted, like it was minimal. I stayed at my desk, but it was uncomfortable because I, I don't take pain medication. Well, an employee or not, you think child, like, yeah, go take care of yourself. Come back yeah. when you come back. So yeah. what was actually the catalyst? I know, I think you said you're like three, three, four months, something like that, since you actually left. What was the catalyst? I'm curious because I left a narcissistic boss in 2018 and that leaving was actually my catalyst for everything that happened after that. Mm -hmm. So I get curious, what was your catalyst? Yours was your daddy. And so even more so. It was a few th different things. Um, I My body was so stressed out. Because he can't, he would tell people, just like it says in the list I, I read, he would tell yeah. people how great I am about my job, would never tell me, never, not once. Or he wouldn't like a text message after like heckling me all day long, which mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything to me. Nope. Um, and so I, rem I started to experience physical symptoms of the stress. Yeah. And my eyebrow hair started to fall off. So I lost half an eyebrow, which as a woman, like your face is important to you. Your, our hair. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my hair. Yeah. Right. So like that was like number one. And that started, I'd say, right before Christmas, I noticed it. Mm -hmm. And then within two weeks, it was half gone, like bald. Gone. Um, and thank God for my experience with cosmetology because I could draw it on, but it's not the same. <laughs> no, but it's at least it, it was not visible. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so that happened. I had irregular menstrual cycles. Like I was having mm -hmm. like three to four a month. 
a month and like full on symptoms too. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just like a little spot in here and there. No, it was full on symptoms. Migraines out the wazoo. And I know we discussed that before Mm -hmm. and they were, I had never experienced them in my entire life. You know, maybe like once or twice, but nothing like this was like weekly. This was happening. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and they're debilitating for sure. They are definitely take you out of the game. Yeah. And I just, I felt everything was magnified. Yeah. Uh, All my emotions were magnified and my birthday was coming up Mm. at my 30th. So it's kind of a big deal. It's a big one. (laughs) And he decided to try to plan a surprise birthday party for my 30th. One, I hate surprises because of freaking trauma. I hate surprises. Anyone that yeah, knows me for five you. minutes knows that. Do not try and surprise me, please. No. no. Also, why would I want my ex-best friend to plan my 30th birthday? That makes no sense to me. Um, and I just broke one day. I started crying. Like, thankfully, I was with one of my good friends, and I was just bawling my eyes out. And it was like this small – to a lot of people, this would seem very small. But to me, it seemed like the, like, just like one more thing I couldn't take. And so I went to the doctor a few days later and I, like my symptoms were visible and they were documented because of the migraines, because of the eyebrow and everything. So I got two doctor's notes to support being out on temporary disability. Yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do because I'm 30 years old. I do not have a bachelor's degree. I am limited a little bit or so I thought. So you thought, yeah. Yeah. And then I started to think about what am I naturally good at? What could I possibly do? Yeah. And I would always tell people when I was working in the funeral home, like, I love my job. I love my job. I love helping people. I did not like embalming. (laughs) I did not like, I did not enjoy constantly seeing like sad people. And, but I sought to help them, you know, with their grief, but then they left and I didn't see that through and that bothered me. And I don't like, I don't like opening cans of beans that can't be closed. (laughs) And so I'm like, well, I know I can help people. I know mm-hmm. recovery mm-hmm. and I know I'm made for more than just this. Yeah. And so I started to look online and I found coaching and this was like a long, this was like a good two month process. This was not an overnight thing because I had to listen to what was aligning for me and mm-hmm. my intuition. Eventually that turned into manifestation, but until I found out what I wanted, I couldn't go that far. And now that that is incorporated into my my life, if I feel, I pay attention to my body. My body is Mm -hmm. almost like it's separate entity, if you will, because it's been through so much, so many shapes and sizes. And I had to make amends with my body because I didn't listen until the signs were physical. So now when something is not in alignment with what I am doing for myself in my future, 
I can feel it. I can physically yep. feel it. Yep. And with coaching, I have never felt more of a pull in my entire life. And certain things are falling into place. I'm meeting amazing people. I'm on great podcasts. And I finally had the courage to open my own business, getting the necessary certifications, all that. And I have never been happier. And as a startup, mm -hmm. you know, it's not very profitable, pro profitable in the beginning. No. However, I have never been happier. Money mm -hmm. does not matter to me right now. I mean, as long as my basic needs are met. Yeah. Like, because everything else that I'm getting and that feeling I'm getting of, of fulfillment and purpose, yeah. that's priceless. It's huge. It's, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, I find myself in the opposite. It's pretty funny because uh, for me, I've been, I've been some type of trying to be an entrepreneur for the better part of 15 years now. And mm -hmm. some success, some not successful, just different yeah. types of things. And then when I met my na my partner, so my, my fiance, oh, I get to say that. So, yeah, so right? Um, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I can say that now. Um, but I met him and then shortly after moved in with him, he, he was like, you don't need to work. And I was like, wait, no, you, you don't understand. No, I have to, like, because that was, that was my childhood mm -hmm. and and my ex and it was that nope you have to money equals safety equals no you have to and so for um, almost two years now i have been a stay-at-home person mother wifey and i'm like i'm i'm really i love this but you're still productive <laughs> like, though well and that's the whole thing i get to do this passion project and that's that when i took the money focus and went okay money will come like mm. my basic needs are met because I have a man that is blesses me and takes care of them and doesn't have that pressure of, no, you have to perform. You have to be this human. And now I'm like, oh, my podcast is starting to take off. And now I'm getting offers for speaking engagements, which are paid. So it's like, see, mm -hmm. money will come. Yeah. Just like you said, the, the money aspect, we make enough to, to just make sure we're, we're taken care of in the solid and I'm not going to be homeless. And I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But that, that money piece comes and that happiness. I think one thing that, that I, you talk about, um, you know, facts and, and we talked about this book before, but I, I can't, I can't ever stress it enough. I've said it in several podcasts, but for people who've never read it, it's called the body keeps the score. And it literally talks about the neurological damage, the neurological and cycle and like physical, like physical changes that trauma, yeah. emotional, physical, sexual, it doesn't matter. That, yeah. that actually does to our body. And so when we get to this point, it is an actual, when we talk about healing, it is not just mental and emotional. It is very, very physical. Like there is, like you said, talk about being in your body. Like I had to finally learn, like I, I thought that something was wrong with me and mine sits right in my solar plexus is below the camera here, but mine sits right in my solar plexus. And when something is off and I can't, this morning I woke up and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling, but it's off because my body's going, nope, still don't know what it is. I'll figure it out. But yeah. you had tuning into that physical piece of it because that's where the healing actually, like I've learned over the last couple of years that memory, our physical body has five types of memory. Only one of them is the pictorial memory and it's the worst one we have. 
-hmm. It's the one that's the least reliable and the one that we always feel like, oh, I can fit, you know, I can remember that point in time. And actually we don't remember it very well, but our bodies, like they remember spot on. It remembers days. It remembers times. It remembers all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I love how you were talking about that, like physical aspect of it. Cause it's super, it's super true as to how we move forward. Yeah. And then when I was finally out of everything, I was able to do research because I was coming out of this fog and I couldn't Mm -hmm. explain it because someone would ask me like, what did you do today? I couldn't tell you what I did for breakfast. I had no idea. I had no idea. And it terrified me. And, you know, I have a history of dementia in my family. I'm like, okay, I'm 30 years old. That's probably (laughs) unlikely. Uh, But but I, yeah. And then I researched and the effects of narcissism on the brain yep. and how long-term abuse, narcissistic abuse affects the hippocampus of the brain, which mm-hmm. is located in the temporal lobe. And that's where we store and release memory. Yep. And that includes short-term memory. And I was in school for funeral directing, but the, the last year I couldn't retain a thing. I couldn't retain anything. And I didn't know why. I had no idea. So when I read that, I was so angry. <laughs> I was oh, yeah. so angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's just like it it has led me to this point and I need to give myself some grace because I survived in that time and I'm able to thrive for my future and help others and what a gift that is in itself. Oh, that's, and again, I I say this to all my guests, but I really feel like I get blessed by hearing everybody else's stories all the time and meeting wonderful people like you, because for me, it's, it's like, nope, nope, you're not alone. And I get to see, I, I always say you want to meet the strongest human beings that you've ever met in the world. Go, go find someone that had childhood trauma because they were never given a neurological advantage in their life. A psycholog- they had psychological deficits that nobody talked about. And one day something woke them up and said, no, nope. You, you, and, and like you said, we all, then we all start researching and going, oh, yeah, the, the anger. Oh, man, the anger. <laughs> like, that's not fair. Why? What, the, what, that, no, <laughs> I would get so angry. And then, but then finding that, that grace and that space and that, like I said, I'm super blessed now not to have to have a job because like this past week, my, my podcast has started blowing up and I've gotten like really, really busy and it's super, super blessing. And at the same time, I've been working nine to two, like I've been in the computer, I've been doing stuff nine to two for days on end. And I'm like, I couldn't physically have a job. Like it's this, this, sometimes I say universe, I don't care if people use God or whatever term, you know, but the universe is telling me, no, you don't, you, you actually can be highly successful and have everything you need without having to have a nine to five and push your body to its utter limits every single day. That that's not required of you. You can have all of that space for yourself. And, you know, you said earlier that we don't know how to, we didn't know how to say no. Right. And now I'm sure you're like a lot of us where we're putting up boundaries and saying no and learning <laughs> beautiful new things as you move forward, um, which is such an amazing space to be. So as we're coming to the end of our time together, I do always ask my guests for anybody who is watching or listening to this and really would just love to connect with you, hear more about your story, learn more about what you do. 
what's a really great way for someone to connect with you right now? So I just launched my website. Um, it has my business number as well as my business email, and you can always book a session on there as well. It is called thebridgecoachingservices.net, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from people. Yes, no, I absolutely. For anybody who feels called to, that all the links to get connected to Brittany are right down in the show notes below, so feel free to click get connected um, and, and learn more about her and her story. And Brittany, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing in a vulnerable, authentic way so that you know all of the audience can, can grow and learn from people just like you who have found thriving after surviving. So thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Megan. Yes. To the audience, thank you for joining us. And as always, I am wishing you peace, love, and flow. And may your flow be ever rising. Until next time. Thank you.